Hello everybody and welcome to a special edition of WFI's European Football Index where we're going to talk about everything about the Netherlands. So we're going to talk about the national team, the Eredivisie, um, the problems with the national team's qualifications for major tournaments recently, new players coming up, all that good stuff. So, And today we're joined by James Rowe. James, how are you? Uh, I'm well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. And uh, so you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself, like uh, what your background is and uh, how you found yourself living in the Netherlands. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, I first came to Amsterdam in 2003 for the Champions League match between uh, Ajax Amsterdam and Arsenal. I was so charmed by the city that uh, I decided to move here a couple of years after that. I've been living in Amsterdam for more than 11 years. For the past three years, I've been writing for footballoranje.com. We are the number one English language website for everything to do with Dutch football, with uh, analysis, translation of um, pre-match interviews and post-match interviews. And also I conduct my own interviews with professional players and managers here in the Netherlands. Uh, I've recently interviewed uh, the managers of Feyfefe Fenlo, Maurice Stein and uh, Rory Ese, Robert Morana. I've also interviewed in the past uh, Jeffrey Gawaleu, who plays as a centre-back for FC Augsburg in uh, in Germany, as well as the former final player Luigi Brown. So uh, uh, almost um, 20 interviews in the last year and a half. So uh, it's going well and the names are becoming more and more well-known. So it's a good sign. No, that's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely know your stuff and uh, it goes without saying you know more than me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a lot uh, as we record this. So that, that, that's good. Um, right, well, as we record this, so we, this is, uh, what's the day today? It's, it's, it's Monday the 4th of December. So we're a couple of days after the uh, the draw that was taking place for the, the World Cup group stages um, for Russia 2018. And obviously uh, the Netherlands uh, weren't part of that draw. And it's the second uh, major tournament in a row that they've not qualified for. Um, and, you know, and I, I know that feeling. I'm, I'm Scottish, so you know we're we're used to not being there. But I'm just wondering what what's the feeling over there in the Netherlands? I mean, and are there any sort of green shoots of hope um, for the next generation of players coming through? Because obviously, after after the last qualification campaign ended, you had players like Aryan Robin uh, retiring, and you know from the outside looking in, there's maybe not as many marquee names to choose from um, that there used to be uh, both on the pitch and in terms of uh, like managerial names so if, if you could just sort of cover that for us so I mean what's the, what's the feeling over there uh, after this latest failure well the one the feeling is uh, is one of disappointment to not be part of a World Cup uh, the last time the Netherlands felt such a feeling was when they failed to qualify for South Korea and Japan in 2002 the failure to qualify for the last two major tournaments can be traced back to just shortly after the success of the 2014 World Cup where they reached the semi-finals and were eliminated on penalties by Argentina the Dutch FA had a choice to make between appointing Ronald Koeman or Hussink and they chose uh, Hussink and uh, due to him being uh, uh, very experienced and um, thinking that they, they made the right decision. With his age, you could uh, you could detect an apparent um, age gap, which meant that uh, he couldn't really get the best out of very young players that were coming through. And in the subsequent qualifiers for Euro 2016 and also the World Cup in 2018, Netherlands have kind of lost their way a little bit, where ineptitude at board level within the Dutch FA in letting... Danny Blind remain in charge and then um, plumping for Dick Advocat and letting him um, letting him take the reins and, and finishing a qualifying campaign where they uh, they didn't quite manage to make the playoffs neither. So uh, they're just in a situation now where they've got to 
they've got to regroup and they've, they've got to try to really um, go hell for leather to uh, try and qualify for Euro 2020 because it would be unthinkable to think in the modern age that uh, the Netherlands would fail would fail to qualify for three major successive tournaments. Yeah, I mean that, that's uh, like you said. Um... The, before the Euro 2016, it was like the World Cup 2002 was the last time. So they, they kind of had a, a good run mm-hmm. through that sort of really good generation of players that had, you know, like Iron Robin, uh, Van der Vaart, Schneider, you know, those, those sort of players. Um, and yeah, that's, that seems to have come crashing down because the, the, there always seemed to be a really big gap between mm-hmm. a lot of the... Like, if you look at the last campaign, you had, like, Iron Robin, who was, what, 33, 34? And then you were having, like, Schneider was getting called up. Uh, even Van Persie got back in the squad towards mm-hmm. the end of the qualifiers. Uh, but then the, 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 there was no beyond players that are, were of standout quality that would have been in a prime age, you know, sort of, like, between, let's say, 26 and 30. It was either these old veterans or really young players, um, that were like in sort of like late teens, early twenties that didn't really have a lot of experience. And, and the ones that were in the sort of prime age, you know, maybe people like, um, your de classy, for example, you know, like weren't of the same quality, uh, of the previous generation. So like Schneider, for example, you know, so there seemed to be a bit of a gap going on there. So, I mean, has there been any sort of, um, is that, is that is that an opinion that that's shared within the Netherlands? And if so, what 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 are the reasons behind it? Do you think like why why was there just this gap, uh, or what or rather why was there a decrease in quality from players of Robin and Schneider's tier? Why were they not replaced again? Well, I think it has to do with uh, a specific generation and, and and different characters in the current generation. I think um, I think you're dealing with young players that are just joining the na- national team setup here in the Netherlands that are that are younger and, and their, their character is slightly different. Uh, one point I would make about is about the David Plupper who played for um, PSV Eindhoven before making his uh, his transfer to Brighton and Hove Albion last summer. He's an excellent player and he scored goals against Bulgaria in the qualifiers and has an awful lot to offer. But I, I think that young players such as Virgil van Dijk and Davy Pulipa, Davy Klaassen, I think as well they, they suffered from having uh, not having a manager who had a specific way of playing and, and a long-term vision to bring these players forward and to bring them on, I think they, I think the national teams just got themselves in a, in a little bit of a, um, a tears of, of of being desperate to qualify for a major tournament. They want to, um, they turn to Advocat to, to try and save them really without trying to select the uh, the right candidate. It, it has been in the past whenever uh, the national team job has come up. It's, it's, it has happened that um, in the case of 2008 when uh, Van Marwijk was appointed, he was the man that eventually led them to a World Cup final. And in, in the process of selecting a successor after Marco van Basten, they only they only interviewed Bever Marwijk because that was the only person they wanted. And they managed to get him as well. Whereas now... They had a, a board level and behind the scenes at the Dutch FA. It's as if they were going from one potential candidate to the other to try and sound people out without having a clear vision about how the national team is going to go forward. And the, and the players joining the national team setup were um, were stagnated a little bit in their growth because there wasn't a specific manager there who was going to bring them on and have a clear way of playing and, and select a, a group of players upon which to form a nucleus to go forward. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of been um, w- w- one of the perspectives that people both in and 
out with the Netherlands have taken about Dutch football is that in a strange way, it almost kind of, it seems to have kind of eaten itself in a strange way because like all these managers that were like really successful towards like sort of like during the 90s and the early 2000s so you, the likes of Advocat and like uh, Van Hal and stuff like that they all they seem to just interchange on a weird sort of merry-go-round so like yeah. when one yeah when one loses a job of the national team for example another one comes in from the same generation and, and like you said there's there's this sort of gap and um, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier where there, there seems to be a lack of sort of players in their prime at the moment um, for, the, for the national team uh, of of the highest standard and it seems to be the same for like coaches because there didn't seem to be a lot of Dutch coaches the sort of the, the generation after your Van Hals and your um and your advocates you know I mean like because at the moment or up, up until very recently I mean like uh, Peter Bosch was probably the standout after the season he had last year with Ajax was excellent and he got the job at Dortmund started very well I mean it's all falling apart now I mean for all we know by the time the pod goes out he may have actually lost his job um, I mean but I mean it, who would you say uh, could be uh, along with Bosch? Because you know, he, this, even if he does lose his job at Dortmund, I mean, this isn't the end of the world for him. You know, he'll get more opportunities and stuff. I'm sure. Um, and the same could be said for Frank de Boer. I mean, his, his last few jobs haven't really gone that well, but you could see him getting another opportunity. But who, who else would you say that is worth looking at and has maybe went under the radar a bit in terms of managerial candidates? Um, not just for national job. I, I mean, like in general, like who who, who else is there? Well, if you look at the domestic scene, there's quite a few Dutch managers who are forming a, a decent reputation. You have uh, Erik Den Haag at Utrecht, who's got, who's got them playing some wonderful football and is highly rated due to his um, work with Bayern München under on Guardiola with uh, the Bayern München reserve team when Guardiola was there. You also have uh, John van der Brom and Arsene Alkmaar, who are currently sitting second in the Eredivisie, only eight points behind PSV. They've won their last six games and, and they're really the... Um, the story of the season so far because they, I said Alakmaar invested in youth and uh, with a youth policy investing in a new training complex and sticking behind the current manager John van der Brom and, and really putting everything behind it and uh, they're seeing the benefits of that. If you also look, I interviewed the manager of Faith of Faith Enlo, uh, Maurice Stein, back in August this year. He was linked with a uh, move to Ipswich last summer. He won the first division title with Faith of Faith Enlo when they had the 10th biggest budget in the division. And uh, he managed to make them champions. And they're, they're finding their feet slowly but surely in the uh, in the Eredivisie this season. When I interviewed him back in August, he was extremely clear and extremely forthright about how he goes about his business in forming a good team spirit and everybody working together. So I would say those three names in particular will go on to achieve uh, bigger things in future. Well, that's excellent because and I, 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 I think it kind of it sort of reflects maybe how the perception of Dutch football has maybe uh, gone downhill slightly in recent years in the sense that um, uh, up until, I mean, because, you know, I, I, I don't profess to watch a lot of Dutch football, or Dutch domestic football, I mean, but I mean, up until maybe about like five or ten years ago, you could you could probably name like who's managing what team in the Netherlands and, and it seems to have kind of, uh, that interest seems to have waned recently um, for whatever reason. Maybe it's just like a sort of slip in the standards uh, domestically or the fact that just because there's so much money in the game now from countries like England, uh, especially England and like the Bundesliga and Spain and stuff, that the, uh, the air division is sort of 
it's got this perception that it's became basically like like a selling league. You know, like if you become a big player there, you're not going to be big there for long. You're going to leave, and and maybe maybe that doesn't help its its perception from from outsiders. But it's it's good to hear that uh, that there is a a crop of of uh, young young managers that will sort of you know help Dutch football progress in the future. But I mean, you, you did mention it, the visit, and it's probably a good time to, to yeah to properly. Transition over to that. So I mean, fourteen games have been played in this season's uh, division so far, and the table's already sewn up some surprises. So PSV uh, already have a, a really comfortable lead, like you said, over second place uh, as at Alkmaar, who themselves have had a strong start and they sit second. Ajax are already ten points behind the leaders, and last season's champions Feyenoord are fifth. Um, so I mean, I, I think we should maybe start to find out then uh, what what what's happened there between last season and now. I mean, how, how are they fallen so far off the pace? I would say losing Dirk out and uh, losing Elia uh, was a big blow to them. They was aware that Dirk out may well uh, move on due to his age, but uh, the pace of Elia, uh, they haven't been able to uh, to combat that. They invested very well in the transfer market over the summer. They brought Habs, the uh, the, the left back, who's very good, who uh, previously played for Isaac Alakmaar and uh, St. Just from here in vain as well. So they invested well. But I think uh, coupled with losing um, losing uh, big stars who helped them to win a first title for 18 years last season and also the, the rhythm of, of two games a week in a reasonably tough Champions League group has uh, has meant that they um, they fell away to, to lose at home to... Um, to Nakbreda and to uh, to draw at home to Faith Venlo. Um, it was only um, in the match against Vitesse on Saturday night that they won their first home game since September. So uh, they're slowly finding their feet again. But I think you will see uh, Feyenoord improve over the second half of the season. I think the emotion involved with the title win last year touched an awful lot of people because it was a team that waited such such a long time to finally win the title again after 18 years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually did catch a few games towards the end of last season, and you could almost you could feel it coming from the stands. You know, where it felt like this is it. We're finally going to do it. You know, because like I said, eighteen years is a long time for a club like Feyenoord to wait to win the title. Because I think I think people of a of a certain generation maybe think that the two biggest clubs in in the Netherlands is like you know Ajax and PSV. But I mean, historically, that's certainly not the case. You know, I mean, Feyenoord have been you know really right up there, um, but. Like we said, since the turn of the turn of the century, they, they haven't quite cut it until last season. So, um, but yeah, it will be interesting to see how their how the rest of the season pans out under uh, Giovanni Bronkhorst. Uh, has he found himself under pressure at all after this poor start? Um, I think the eyebrows were raised with uh, with results that went astray against teams such as Nakbreidar and Fefefemlo. But um, I also think that. They cut they cut him a little bit of slack because you know they are the only representative for the Netherlands in the Champions League. It was in a very strong group and in a neutral sense, in the press sense, everybody wants them to do well. You also have to remember, final were the first Dutch team to win the um, European Cup, and uh, back in 1970. And um, yeah, it's. it's uh, I think looking from outside, people obviously want them to do well in a European sense, but the group they found themselves in with Manchester City, Shakhtar Donetsk and Napoli was was for them just a bridge too far. Yeah, I think it's really quite unfortunate, actually. Um, it, it was basically the toughest sort of draw that they could have gotten. Um, and even teams like, you know, teams like Shakhtar and Napoli uh, just... 
I think it probably is just just a little too high uh, a level for them to be competing with at this moment in time. But I think the main thing for them is the fact that they, they did finally get that title win, and they sort of got that got that monkey off their back, you know. So uh, hopefully they can build on it in future. But yeah, like like you actually said, they uh, they are the only Dutch team uh, that are in European competition at the moment, which is a good time to uh, focus on Ajax here because um, they they really have not had a great time of it this season, to say the least. I mean, where do we even start here? I mean, pr- probably the fact that they were out of European competition before the end of August, which is not great for a team that, that reached the final of the Europa League the season before. Um, I mean, they did get a tough draw in the Champions League qualifiers. They were drawn against Nice, um, which is it was a, a pretty harsh draw. But uh, they, they went out of that. But then they got Rosenberg, uh, or Rosenborg sorry, um, in the Europa League qualifiers. Who, who are actually a good team. I think they've actually got some decent results over recent years in the Champions League, for example. But you would still expect Ajax to, to get past them, but they didn't. They actually lost the home leg of that tie as well, um, which just they basically went downhill from there. Now, obviously, they've been in a bit of transition because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, they, they lost Peter Bosch, who, who went to Dortmund. But I don't know. Just how how can you sum up how their season's gone so far? Well, um, I was at the uh, both home legs of the game against Nice and the game against Rosenborg. And to start with the game uh, at Nice, they were winning 2-1, where it looked as if they were going to go into the final round of the Champions League playoff. Nice are a good side, in my opinion. They uh, kept pushing and remained extremely patient. And I think over the course of two legs, Nice just about shaded it. But in the um, subsequent draw for the Europa League, Rosenborg was the toughest team they could have uh, they could have faced. And it, the the game in Amsterdam against Rosenborg, the, the 1-0 defeat, it was like a, a flat game of chess where there was no specific urgency from my ex-point of view. And Rosenborg just waited and waited and waited for their chance and got that all-important away goal. And then in the second leg in Trondheim, it was a little bit topsy-turvy where... Once again, at one stage of the game, Ajax were um, were heading through, only for uh, defensive uh, mistakes to uh, put pay to any potential uh, Europa League participation in the group stage this season. Yeah, and, and what about domestically as well? I mean, like you said, they're already 10 points off the top. Um, I mean, the, 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 I think they definitely would have expected to do a little better domestically, uh, even with the transition that's been going on. And I, I believe as well, like, Kasper Dolberg's actually been quite badly out of form, uh, or at least compared to last season. So can you tell us a little bit about him? Uh, because he's obviously a, quite a hot prospect and has, has been touted to be joining several clubs around Europe, but he's, you know, he's, he stayed at Ajax this year. Uh, how would you say his season's gone compared to last season? Um, I would say it's been quite lukewarm. I mean, he's still he's still a threat. You can still see, especially in his movement, he's, uh, he's, still, he's still sharp. But I think personally, one thing which has affected him, on the final day of the transfer of the summer transfer window, I actually um, turned down a 49 million euro bid from Monaco for Dolberg, purely due to the fact that they couldn't find a replacement in time. And I think even in the case of Dolberg, although he's happy in Amsterdam, uh, with his good performances, hopefully being the stri- springboard for him to uh, to go on to a bigger European club, to to have uh, a potential move to one of the biggest clubs in France, and uh, and a team who had a fantastic run in Europe last season, to see that fall through may well have affected him, and um, I think as well uh, Ajax were just 
in the case of their current manager, Marcel Kaiser, he's extremely highly rated amongst uh, amongst peers at the club and, and backroom staff at the club, where um, he's trying he's, he's trying his best to form a good team. He does have a very good nu- nucleus with uh, young players such as uh, Justin Clavert, Frenkie de Jong and Donny van der Beek. They are three players in particular that uh, are going to help the club push forward this season. And although it's 10 points and it's an awful lot of ground to make up, I suppose in the case of Marcel Kaiser, with it being his first season and, and relatively um, inexperienced, his previous clubs before Ajax were Cambu Leoard and, and uh, Telstar. So uh, it's a bit of a step up. But uh, due to his work at youth level within the club, the uh, they decided to give him a chance at the top job. And I think he's experiencing teething problems, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, we'd like to think that you'll, you'll get some time because yeah, I think I mean, I think it applies anywhere. I mean, managers just in general just don't get enough time. And like you said, I mean, his previous work uh, has not been at any sort of level comparable to, to Ajax, you know. Uh, so you would like to think that as much as they give young players chances, you'd like to think that they'll give like, younger manager chances as well. So hopefully you get some time to to, uh, to properly figure that out. And uh, you did mention some young players there, and we'll use that as a little bit of a teaser because we will move on to some of those players later on. Uh, but before we do that, um, just whilst we're still on the subject of the uh, the Eredivisie, um, the last club I want to sort of specifically talk about at the moment is uh, FC Twente. Um, I mean, what has been happening there? I mean, this is a team that not long ago won the division and uh, in recent years it seems that they've had some major major financial troubles and currently the only reason they're not bottom of the league is a goal difference I believe so if you can just uh, if you can just give us a little bit of a recent history behind what's been going on there because it seems very unhealthy and there's a massive danger of, of dropping out of the league yeah, it's uh, it's a surprise that they've that they've fallen so quickly in the glory and in the um, euphoria of them winning their first title. Uh, they overspent in terms of wages to attract players to push on. They had uh, a chairman and important people behind the scenes that were thinking that that, that first title would be perhaps uh, not just a one-off that they could um, invest heavily to. Um, to maybe make that a more regular occurrence. Uh, they specifically spent too much on wages to attract players and uh, have found themselves in financial difficulty. I actually interviewed uh, FC Twente player Irun van der Leyla back in March this year, and he was explaining to me that the, the club were um, in a predicament where they were trying to secure loan signings and trying to secure short-term deals and trying to use their youth setup to, to build a team together. They've recently appointed former Hiram Vein, Arset and final manager Gerdjan Verbeek, who comes from the region of Enschede, is heavily linked with the club, is a supporter of the club. I think he has enough experience to get them out of it, but I think due to the um, financial mismanagement shortly after the title win and, and the false expectations that that created, I think uh, as time's gone on, the club is, is, is struggling to, to meet expectations. And for them, it's all about staying in the league this year. I, I still think they'll, they'll manage to stay up. I think um, I think Sparta Rotterdam will be the one that may well drop uh, automatically. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it was actually quite surprising how quickly they have fallen. I mean, I, I was shocked myself. I mean, I, I knew that they'd been in a bit of trouble recently. Uh, I remember reading some stuff about it over the last year or so, but I had no idea until I did a little bit of research before doing this pod that they were so low uh, in the visit at the moment. And the fact that they've also, you know, if they happen to to uh, somehow rise up into like a European position in the league, uh, they can't actually qualify for it because they've been banned yeah, from, uh, from European competitions. Because didn't they actually fit was it last season or the season before they actually finished in a position where they would have been in the in the Europa League I believe but yeah. uh, they weren't they weren't allowed to compete yeah that's correct um the uh, here in the Netherlands uh, as well as the UEFA jurisdiction the Netherlands always have like a um a keen eye on all the professional clubs not just in the Eredivisie but also in the first division where if your accounts do not match and your books are cooked or you're in financial difficulty, you're helped by the Dutch FA in terms of uh, the category you're put in and uh, they keep a keen, a keen eye on you. And should your books not uh, are consistently wrong or, or should the club have problems, then there are, there are measures in place to, where if a club constantly ignores the warning signs or ignores the advice from the Dutch FA, then it can go all the way down the line where and a potential uh, a license is revoked and that club would be put back into uh, amateur competition. As in the case of, uh, I think it was 2005, uh, Ebesel were had won a season in Eredivisie and uh, they are now uh, playing in uh, in amateur competition. So it just goes to show how quickly things can go. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not messing around there. <laughs> you can tell that, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I, I think I said that actually that was going to be the last club once they focus on before we move on to some players. But, you know, I, I think we actually maybe should give a little bit of attention to Azid Alkmaar here, uh, who are, are second. Um, I mean, they are uh, is it eight points behind PSV at the moment, so it is a little bit of a gap. Yeah. But um, they are having a really good season. So, I mean, what, what can you tell us about them? Well, they've won their last six games and they haven't just won their last six games um, with uh, goals in the last minute or or by luck or by hook or by crook. It's been a real team effort and they're really, really finding, as I mentioned earlier, the fruits of their loins having invested in a a youth policy and a manager which has overseen that youth policy. They created a uh, a new training complex for the youth in order to train and for the youth to be motivated to make the steps to the first team. And, um, yeah, they've had an extremely good result away to Faithful Faithful Venlo last Sunday because Venlo is a difficult place to go. And uh, they won 2-0 and uh, they have some uh, good players in Vat uh, Vejos, is a striker who used to play for Ahir Klas Almalo, who was much maligned when he first signed for the club. And people thought he wouldn't necessarily cut the mustard, but he's been doing ever so well to have a, a very young player in uh, Christil, the uh, attacking midfielder. He's only 19 years of age and he's been putting in some wonderful performance, performances for us at Alakmaar this year. So their success is fully deserved and um, be interesting to see how, um, how far they can go. I think it's quite apparent that they will qualify for uh, European competition this season. Yeah, that's excellent. And it's always good to hear about a club that does find success via promoting youth because it seems to be a very healthy and sustainable way of doing it. And everybody benefits, you know, uh, rather than just going and spending crazy amounts of money. You know, they've actually managed to to hone something in-house there. Um, and it's actually a, a good transition as well. So I'm, I'm glad I asked about them because... Uh, this is where we will move on to talk about some of the, the, the young standout players 
in the Eredivisie. Um, but I, I'm going to save some of the Ajax ones for last because I think they're the ones that out with the Netherlands are the most well-known. So if you would like to... Uh, Get, give a platform to some really, really talented young players that maybe aren't as well known as the likes of Frankie de Jong, for example. So, I mean, who who would you say are some of the most standout players in the division that do not play for, let's say, Ajax? Well, um, I just mentioned him, uh, Chris Thiel. He's only 19 years of age and he's an attacking midfielder. I said Alkmaar uh, manager John van der Rohm has placed an awful lot of confidence in him and he hasn't disappointed. His, his assists and his goals and his, his maturity is, is well beyond his years. Dropping down to the first division, you have a uh, much highly rated uh, Per Schuurs, who plays for Fortuna Sittard, who's been linked with many, many different European um, European clubs, uh, such as Hamburg and, and Bayern Munich, as well as the domestic scene in, here in the Netherlands. Uh, Fortuna Sittard also a team which had financial restriction after financial restriction. They are doing ever so well under the old Nigerian player Sunday Olise, who's their current manager. So he's uh, he's another name to watch. At Hedon um, Vane as well, there's, there's a player called Lucas Waldenberg, who used to play for Feyenoord, and he transferred from, from Feyenoord to Hedon Vane back in the summer. And uh, it was quite unlucky not to... He, he, did, he was involved at Feyenoord, but he didn't play every single game. And I would say that uh, Heel and Vane are definitely finding the, the benefits of that. And uh, finally, um, going, going the other way from uh, Heel and Vane to Feyenoord, Yeri St. Just. He's an extremely um, uh, competent um, centre-back who's uh, very, very strong. His positional sense is extremely good. And he made the move from uh, SA Heel and Vane uh, to Feyenoord this summer. And uh, he's been playing uh, regular games and um, been making a good impression for Feyenoord. Yeah, I've actually, you know, you mentioned ahead of in there. I'd actually seen a few of their games recently, and uh, yeah, it has to be said, it's more than just Martin Odegaard that's uh, that's impressing there. Because we I mean, obviously when Odegaard first went there, you know, he he wasn't exactly great, but he really has been picking up form, I would say, in the last the last few months. But I mean, they've they've got some really good players, and they, and they play some really nice football as well. So I mean, if anybody gets a chance to watch some Herren uh, Vein games, then I, I would I would definitely recommend it. And also, you mentioned Per Schuh. Um, we, we've uh, mentioned him on a pod before. I mean, me and uh, Lee Scott uh, did, did a, a podcast looking at some young talent around Europe and some clubs and how they how they develop young players. And uh, Pear was one of the four that we chose to talk about. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it won't be long before he before he moves on. Prob- you would imagine probably next summer. Um, well, I mean, who knows? Well, actually, well, what's your take on it? You know, when do you think he'll go? Well, I think he'll go in the summer, but I hope he makes a step up from the Europa League to the Eredivisie and doesn't go too quick. Um, mm. To um, to give a case in point, there's uh, Eric van der Ongele, who made the move from uh, Sparta Rotterdam to um, Hamburg in Germany this summer. is an extremely highly rated and talented centre-back who's slowly finding his feet with Hamburg and slowly being introduced I think it would do uh, the world of good to make the step up from New League to the Eredivisie and get regular Eredivisie game time and improve. Because you see in the case of uh, Matthias de Ligt um, at Ajax, his ball distribution for one so young is exceptional. And Phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it, for how young he is. I've, I think the most impressive thing for me seeing him play live on a regular basis and last season as well is his ball distribution is phenomenal and he's so calm in possession. I think to go down the same route for uh, Bershus where um, 
he could also get regular game time would do him uh, would do him the world of good. Just to, another quick word on Hiram Fane. I'm a big ma- I'm a big fan of their manager Jurgen Stelepel. Uh, he, when things were not going too well for Giovanni van Bronckhorst, uh, when they were uh, in his, I think it was his debut season at final, where they were losing many, many games, he was actually linked with the final job, and he's um, he's been uh, Heelan Bain manager for I think three seasons now. Uh, he was um, before Heelan Bain, he managed uh, Villanovay. And the football that he had Villanovay playing was was absolutely fantastic. It was best football in the league at, at certain points. So, uh, um, as we spoke about managers earlier, I, I would add um, I would also add uh, Jurgen Stelepo uh, to that list. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, following enough, this is actually a question I was going to ask as well, but before we finally get on to some of the Ajax players, is um, you mentioned the, the, the kid that went to Hamburg, but I mean, who, who else who, is, is there around Europe out with the Eredivisie uh, in terms of young Dutch players that maybe people should be keeping an eye on? Well, um, coincidentally, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to Jeffrey de Fowleu, who uh, transferred from Arsid Alkmaar to Augsburg in uh, 2016 and he's been playing every single game for Augsburg in the Bundesliga and he's been overlooked at, at national team level and he's uh, so cool and calm and confident it was uh, fantastic to speak to him about uh, the challenges of the Bundesliga and, uh, and coming up coming up against the uh, Abumayang and uh, Lewandowski and, and and massive challenges every week, but his attitude was phenomenal. I remember him telling me in the interview, which is which you can read on footballandu.com, is that for him going up against Lewandowski and going up against Abumayang, your attitude is the same that you want to to combat and you want to find out their weaknesses and try to do the best you can. But it's been a tremendous move for Kawaleu uh, to go from. Um, I said Alakmar where he was captain uh, at a very very young age and he was saying that when you are captain of I said Alakmar at the age I think 24 he was that you realise that the role is, is not just about you you, you have to uh, keep an eye on other people and command and delegate and he, he really took to the role but you can also see with uh, Khaoleu that he's extremely happy in Germany in, in an in a off the field sense uh, playing every single game in a very, very difficult league and um, I'm sure he'll go on to bigger and better things. That's excellent to hear. You know, I'm I'm, I'm really glad uh, about the fact that we've done this podcast. We're not that we're finished yet, but I'm, I'm glad that we've done this podcast because it's not just for myself learning, but also for others that are going to be listening to this, um, be it if they're already interested in uh, the visit and the likes or they're just coming in because they're curious. I, I think it's very easy to look at Dutch football and say, yeah, it's not in great shape and yeah, there's nothing to be optimistic about. But I mean, I think you've turned that on its head because there's talk, basically talking exclusively about younger players here. I mean, there is players coming through and at various levels you know like be it in the Netherlands in the top or second tiers or ones that have already made the move abroad um, I think there is hope there so that that's really good but and so sticking on that we will finally now get on to some of the Ajax players so you've already mentioned a couple yeah. uh, the likes of a uh, uh, Matthias Delict, who is brilliant, I I, th- I think he's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I, obviously uh, this uh, the summer just gone. Uh, Davidson Sanchez was the one that got the big move. Um, you know, he moved Tottenham Hotspur for like forty million. Uh, but I mean, I I, I think Delict was was just as, uh, if not more, impressive uh, in defence last season because it's not just his distribution. I mean, the, the the timing of his tackles uh, for somebody so young is it really is remarkable. So I mean, you've got him, you've got Frankie de Jong, Justin Cliver, 
uh, Donny van de Beek, who you've already mentioned, uh, and, and a few others as well. So, I mean, before we even get onto them, who have I missed out? Who else have Ajax got? Well, uh, the four you just mentioned is the main nu- nucleus going forward. And the most important thing that you see when you watch them live is they uh, they all enjoy playing with one another. They all enjoy um, playing together, play- having time together, even in the passes that they give. Uh, Justin Kleiberts got a hat-trick in a 5-1 win against the Rode USA. And after the game, rather than taking the plot, it's all for himself. He was completely waxing lyrical about Flinky de Jong and about uh, Donny van der Beek and about the real team ethic in terms of uh, passes supplied. Um, Ajax are well known for having a uh, conveyor belt of youth. They, it's a club which always, always believes in the youth. And um, it, even in difficult financial times or, or, or here in the Netherlands, when, um, when clubs can't really match up to the wages and things like that, they, uh, they have to find different ways, but uh, I would say that they've invested well and, and behind the scenes there's so much training as well, not, not just in, in making the players ready for the first team, but also for off the field as well. You know, they also have um, young players coming through. There's a, a very young midfielder who's been involved with the uh, with the first team squad called uh, Kado Aiting. He's, uh, he's, I think he's yet to make his debut, but he's extremely promising. You also have Adeo Vasio Seifalk. I was I was at the game where Seifalk made his debut against Hulan Vane. I think it was back in March this year. And he came on as a sub and they were losing and at the time when he, when he came on. And um, his tactical awareness was just phenomenal. To be so young, to only be 19 years of age uh, as a right back and be able to have the, the bottle and the, the guts to gesticulate to your fellow more experienced teammates about where to stand, about where the danger is coming from, that really made me uh, take note of uh, Deo Facio Seifalk and uh, he's definitely one for the future for me. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that, that's good to hear about that because there's again uh, some of those players I hadn't heard of. I mean, it, it was it was more the the headline act uh, youth players that I, I'm familiar with. I mean, I think everybody recently uh, on Twitter, for example, uh, has seen the, the the video going around of uh, Justin Clivert's recent hat trick that he scored. I mean, what what a hat trick that is! Just three very distinct goals, and, and the third one. I mean, the, the the touch he took for that when he received the pass out wide was brilliant. Uh, I think I'm right in saying. I mean, you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but I I, I think. Um, is it this season that Cliver um, is actually he's been playing off to the left more? Because I remember him last season he was playing on the right a lot more, but now this season he seems to have moved uh, more towards an inside forward role, and he seems to be really lethal. Yeah, that's correct. He's uh, been playing as a left winger this season. I was at the game against Alola where he scored that hat trick, and to take responsibility, I mean, Ajax were losing one nil, having conceded in the thirty-second minute. And uh, it was just approaching half-time and, and he's took the ball on the left and he's gone on a, a, a mazy run and slotted the ball with a plum into the corner. And as soon as the ball hit the back of the net and the half-time whistle blew. And uh, I translated his comments for footballanyu.com after the game where he said to local media about, you know, that if that goal hadn't have been scored, the dynamic of the game would have changed and we would have gone into the dressing room 1-0 down and may well have not ended up um, winning 5-1. But the nucleus of uh, Van der Beek, De Ligt and Flenke de Jong and Kleivert is something that Ajax can be, uh, can be very proud of. And if it's nurtured properly, it can uh, it can really um, bear fruit for the coming seasons, I believe. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the key for all these sort of uh, clubs that, that do similar. Um, it's about nurturing them properly, not just nurturing them whilst they're there at the club, but also when these players maybe do get snapped up, they have to decide that they're making the right move. You know, there's no point just leaving for big money going somewhere in, in one of the top five leagues, but then you're not going to get played because that will just harm their own careers. So we always hope for players that have that have got such obvious talent that their careers will, will sort of fulfil their potential. You know, you don't want to like have a, a what could have been story with somebody like Justin Clive or, or uh, Frankie de Jong because it, it would be it would be very unfortunate. But before we before we get to uh, you know just doing some plugs and and all that sort of stuff, the, the final thing I sort of ask you here is. Um, Am I, am I right in saying that uh, the Netherlands, um, in terms of the national team manager, uh, they haven't actually made an appointment yet uh, to replace Dick Advocate? That's correct. Uh, there's been a reshuffle at board level and uh, the uh, former chairman, director of Feyenoord, Eric Ruder, is now uh, taking up a role within the, um, the Dutch FA where he will be uh, selecting who the new manager will be along with others. In his first um, press conference, he was stating about the need to look at other countries and the need to look at Serbia and Belgium and Iceland in particular and how they play with passion and how they go about their business. But um, he's made it quite clear that they want to um, have a new man in place before the friendlies in March against Wales and England. But he also made it clear that he was going to take his time in selecting the right candidate. Rumours are rife that uh, having worked with Koeman at final, that he would look to install Koeman as national team manager. But um, I just hope that they make the right decision and that they look long term. I think preferably as well, it's got to be a, a Dutchman. I don't think that the Netherlands in particular will be receptive to a foreign coach. Um, I know it's quite in fashion in this day and age and it has been touted by some uh, ex-players and, and, and Dutch media pundits but I, I think personally that's just to kind of be um, advoca- advocating something so that they can say, oh, I told you so. But um, if, to draw a comparison, if you look at Germany, Germany when they were in the doldrums in the early 2000s were on the brink of installing current Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson as their national team manager, and they um, and they uh, they were on the brink of, of him signing. And uh, right at the eleventh hour, the, the German FA went to uh, Frank, um, went to Roy Hodgson and said, uh, "We're ever so sorry, but we're Germany, and we have to put our own house in order, and we have to sort our own problems out." And with that um, mindset, they've gone on to achieve things at all levels, where they're one of the most dangerous teams in the world now. So I think the uh, I think the Netherlands could look at that and think, well, you know, if Germany can do that, then we can too. Naturally, there's the rivalry between the two countries with uh, with what's gone on in the past. But I would just advocate the uh, the Dutch national team going back to basics. Uh, there's new characters coming through. There's young players coming through. You've got David Brupper, David Glass, and um, you've got a very young, um, eager Dutch players who want to make a name and who no doubt will be, will be involved in the national team setup, such as uh, Flenkie de Jong and Kluivert in future. But if they can be guided by a fellow countryman with the ethos of working together and building a team in order to compete, I think that will go a long way to repairing the damage to eventually uh, uh, see the Benevolence national team uh, compete at a European and world level again in the future. Well, I, th- I think all the way through this podcast, you've uh, dispelled the myth that there is no talented Dutch coaching talent 
you know, I mean, talented Dutch coaching talent doesn't make a lot of sense. I really should have reworded that. <laughs> the point being is that you, you've dispelled the myth that there's that there's a there's no one out there. So let's put you on the spot. Who would you choose? Who would your man be for the job? Well, I would give it to Kuman, but I would give it to the Kuman for the following reasons. Uh, my first foray into uh, live Dutch football was when I came to uh, Ajax to, uh, came to Amsterdam to watch Ajax against Arsenal in the Champions League in 2003. And this was an extremely young Ajax side who managed to take on the might of, uh, of AC Milan and Arsenal and Valencia and Roma. And, and they managed to make it almost to the semi-finals of the Champions League in 2003 with an average age, I think, of 19. And Koeman was in charge of that, of that team. And they were moulded together. They were a real unit. They were adapting to tactics. They were, they were really fighting uh, as as a real uh, as one. And I think what the national team needs is it needs to, someone who can build and mould a team, in order to compete. And I've, although although Koeman is bitterly disappointed with uh, what happened at Everton, I think he's, he's given the time, and he's given the objective to to mould a team in order to compete, having brought through young players at, uh, at Southampton and at Ajax and at PSV and at Feyenoord. He has an awful lot of experience in bringing young players through. And if he can be given an, an objective and to do that in the national team and to, br- to bring a nucleus together uh, in order to go forward, I think that may well just be the ticket. Excellent, yeah. Right, well, I think we're going to wrap it up there, but before we say our goodbyes and stuff, uh, would you like to let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter, for example, where they can read your writing, all that good stuff? Well, you can find me on Twitter at JamesRowNL, and uh, I write um, for footballoranya.com, that's football in English, and then dash oranya, O-R-A-N-J-E, Com. We have uh, exclusive interviews and uh, pre-match tra- uh, translation and post-match translation. A lot of my work is, is translation-based with my own exclusive interviews and um, and also with uh, pre-match interviews too. So uh, I try to um, um, provide as much quality as possible. I'm delighted to have 18 interviews with uh, professional players um and managers in the last year and a half. My latest interview was yesterday with Mick van Buren, who plays for uh, Slavia Prague in the Czech Republic, and who used to play for Excelsior Rotterdam, and also played in Denmark for Esberg, and he's now playing in Slavia Prague, who entertained Astana in the Europa League on Thursday. So uh, the names are getting more... Um, uh, more well known all of the content is in English naturally my interview is all done in Dutch but I'm the one that translates that from Dutch to English so uh, all uh, English um, fans of Dutch football um, you're welcome to check me out on Twitter and, and follow the site and uh, always try to provide as much quality as possible Superb yeah, and, and, and I can attest I had a look at the site uh, before we did the call tonight and stuff like that, and it is very good so I, I would highly recommend it to anyone uh, as for myself I mean you can follow me uh, Grant Gendo at Odnage O-D-N-E-J sadly still to this day at Gendo is not available maybe one day fingers crossed uh, you can follow us on Twitter at WorldFootballI you can check out WorldFootballIndex.com we've got loads and loads of articles coming out recently uh, as well as podcasts and all the usual stuff uh, I think we've had 
had a South American football show recently talking about the Copa Libertadores final. Uh, we've also had reaction pod to the World Cup draw. Uh, just all sorts of good stuff, really. So it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, James, thank you very much. It's, it's been it's been very interesting, and we'd love to have you on again sometime. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to come back again in the future. Excellent, good stuff. Uh, just to let you and the listeners know as well, uh, probably uh, throughout this month and uh, t- towards the new year as well, we will be um, having a more regular European football show. So we'll have like uh, previews and roundups of the Champions League and, and the football over the weekend from from all the all the leagues around Europe. Uh, and we'll also have more shows like this where it's focused on uh, a certain country or a certain club and this and that and next thing, all, all that interesting stuff. So I hope you guys tune in uh, for that. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening and I'll see you later. Yeah, Kakadan, you're welcome.